Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart, giving you all the tools you need to create an amazing real estate career. Led by top experts in the field, you'll learn how to sell more houses in less time while creating the life you want. Welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Happy Friday, first Friday of 2022. Uh, excited to be here as part of the Agent Power Huddle. Been on here a couple different times. A little bit about my background. I've been doing real estate and appraisals for 34 years, 1989. Kind of gives you an idea of how old I am. And I wanted to open it up today to talk a little bit about the appraisal, the appraisal process, and maybe how to select comparables for you when you're doing your CMAs. I think that's one of the things I see a lot that uh, a lot of different times when I'm working with newer agents or with agents, even seasoned agents, and they're saying, hey, I've got this unique property and I'm trying to value it for my listing and I really don't know um, what to do here. And so, you know, we're going to go through that mindset and that process and talk a little bit about the appraisal format. So let me um, open up. Is there any, uh, it's like ask an appraiser anything today. Is there anyone who wants to start with a question? Anyone? Hello? Anyone with a question yet? Travis? Um, yeah, I, I, I got nothing right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm to let's, let's talk about comp selection. And let me explain. I'm going to share my screen here. And can I, let's see, share screen options. Can I share my screen there, Lisa or Autumn? Yes, you should be able to. Let's see, share screen. So let's just, let's just start with the mindset. When we look at the appraisal form, this is an actual appraisal form. Can everyone see my screen? You're looking at, you know, the grids. We call the grids, the appraisal grids. And you'll notice, obviously, it's from a top to a bottom. And many times when I'm testifying in court or I'm talking to somebody and they say, I ask them the question, what is the most important property characteristic when selecting a comparable to compare. And we actually, actually we're comparing this, the, the property, this property that's sold on the sales comparison approach to the subject, right? We're comparing this, this property that recently sold to the subject, right? And that's why it's called a comparable. How does this compare to the subject? Most of the time, on open anyone I want to answer, what is the most important, and those who have heard me speak before, you know, refrain, but what is the most important item when selecting a comparable? Is it, you know, square footage? Is it, you know, garage count, lot size, age? What is the most important? Does anyone want to answer that question? Take a shot at it. How about, let me pick on, how about Petrina Walker? What do you think? She come off mute, Petrina? Square feet. Square foot, you know, that's the number one answer. That's that's the Location. most common answer. Correct. Location. Location yeah, exactly. is important. That's another common one. 
And, and, but most people will go into the square footage of the property right here, the gross living area. And it's kind of funny when I was um, talking to somebody about real estate and I, I wasn't really paying attention to what my language I was using. And I said, you know, your gross living area and they, and the homeowner goes, why do you keep calling my home gross? And I was like, Oh no, no, I'm not calling your home gross. That's just the, you know, the total square footage. So when I'm talking to my real estate clients, I don't use the word gross anymore. Learned that lesson. But that that is a very common answer. And actually, it's from the top down. It starts at the top. And the number one thing when you're looking at comparable cells in your MLS, you're pulling it, you need to know, is it a cash or cash equivalent cell? Meaning, was the transfer for cash or cash-like terms? And a lot of times I'll have agents who show up to a, an appraisal and they'll bring me some a form uh, from their title company of a bunch of sales, right? Here's all these one-item styles. I'm like, oh, look at these comparables. And I ask, and I look at them and I say, you know, is this an arm's length transaction? What I mean is arm's length, did it not, would it transfer between two independent parties? A non-arm's length transfer can be the items such as like a transfer between a husband and a wife. Or it could be a transfer from, you know, owning it individually into a living trust. Or it could be a transfer from, you know, a parent to a child. And so those are non-arm's length transfers. And they're not indicative of a market value sell. And so they'll come to me with this weird number and they'll say, oh, look at this number. And I go, oh, geez, look what type of deed transfer it was. It was a trustee's deed. Meaning it went from the owner, right? The um, the trustee, the trustor, there's a trustor, a beneficiary, and a trustee, right? And the trustor is the borrower, and the trustee is the middle person, and the trust and the um and the beneficiary is the bank. And so they took the property, they foreclosed on the property, and the and the tree it was a trustee's deed. And so they showed me this loan amount or the amount, that's the amount they foreclosed on had nothing to do with the market value sell. I said, well, you can't use that. And so when you're doing your CMAs, be very aware of what type of transfer. Was it arm's length or non-arm's length? Obviously, it's an MLS. You'll kind of see some of the notes. But when you pull just independent title data and they're just giving you all these transfers of this of this data, you've got to be very careful when you're doing that. The next item, obviously, are there any concessions? And I think a lot of agents miss this item on what's concessions are. And I don't see, let me see if there's any concessions on this particular property. I don't see, normally right here, you'll see concessions. And so in our MLS, it'll say seller paid $5,000 of buyer's closing costs. Seller in lieu of credit gave a $10,000 credit in lieu of repairs. And so they come to me and they go, oh, look at this comparable, right? It sold for $405,000, but they didn't read the bottom of the MLS in our area and notice that there was $10,000 in seller concessions. And so I have to deduct, normally deduct that out. And so they were banking on this comparable that their property was going to praise for 405. It's a model match. Same square footage, same year built. Why is my not 405? And I said, well, geez, did you notice here that the seller paid $10,000 of the buyer's 
closing costs? No, I didn't see that. Well, I had to deduct that out. That's why your appraisal came in at 395. Does that make sense? Then obviously it goes into the time of sale and location, right? And then we go into the items such as whether it was a leasehold versus fee simple. Now, all of us remember what leasehold and fee simple is from our um, days of our taking our principles, correct? So let me pick on, I'm going to pick on, let me see here. Who do I get to pick on this morning? Ooh, Sarah. Sarah, and you know, if you don't get it right, don't worry about it because most people don't remember this from class. Sarah, do you remember oh, did she, she, the difference between leasehold and fee simple? Did I scare her? Did she leave? <laughs> Hi. Hi, is it Sarah? Yeah. Hi, Sarah. Do you know or can you want to take a shot at what the difference between what a fee simple interest in a property is versus a leasehold? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, man, I just took my test recently. Uh, so I, I should know this. <laughs> it's okay. Um, no, I think, uh, I think the leasehold, um, is that where it's more than one person involved? I think I'm. No, that, that might be the, uh, that might be the, how you took title. Okay. The difference between a leasehold and a fee simple. Fee simple is when you purchase a property, the rights that you're purchasing are the complete bundle. You own it for, you know, for perpetuity forever, right? And a leasehold, you own it for a specific time period or specific use. So okay. what happens is many times when we are working with properties um, that maybe are owned by the BLM, right? The Bureau of Land Management, or they're in a, um, and you own them for a specific point in time. Like, hey, you have the right to occupy this property for 20 years. National forestry. There's a lot of national forestry leases that you can go and purchase an interest in this property, but you don't own it forever. You only own it for the lease hold period, which may be 10 years or 20 years. Does that make sense? Or you could have another example of that is you can have what's called a life estate, right? You could say, look, the husband and wife, the husband owned this property prior to marriage. I'll just, let's back it up. The wife owned the property prior to marriage and she marries, you know, um, and has kids and then gets, and she's a widower now and she gets remarried. And she says, look, on my passing, um, my new husband has the right to occupy this property, the right to use it, whatever, for his life, his life estate. But on his passing, it reverts back to me and to my heirs, right? That's an example of a life estate. So what happens is when you're looking at especially areas like Palm Springs, there are some properties out there, they don't own a fee simple interest. It's a leasehold. And so if you're comparing apples to apples and one's a leasehold and one's a fee simple, normally, not always, but normally a fee simple interest will have a greater value than a leasehold interest, right? Then view, then design, then quality construction, then age, then condition. And then we're finally down into the middle part of this other report where we have our gross living area. Does that make sense? So if you think about this when you're doing, and the reason I'm going through this exercise with you is that when you are selecting your comparable cells for your CMAs, 
that you'll kind of go through this mental exercise. You know, geez, I remember that guy on Agent Power Huddle in the morning. And I recall him saying, hey, is it, you know, what's more important? How, how recent the sell is, the location, was there concessions, the lot size, right? Then the living area. And when you and you when you use that formula and you get into more difficult properties and you apply that, it'll it'll you know help you with your comparable selection because sometimes you're gonna get that one-off property that has some unique feature. You say, Oh, it's a horse property. And you say, all my homes in my neighborhoods are all 10,000 square foot lot, but this guy had this three acre property that allows horses. How do I pull comps? Well, you're going to have to expand your geographical location to find horse properties. So let me um, take a pause and open up. Do we have any questions thus far? I got one. I was going to try and chime in. I think a call with us when you're talking about the, um, the concessions. Yes. So I got into a dispute with an appraiser uh, where he gave an adjustment. So they got like 3% closing cost credit on like a $700,000 house, like 21 grand. And he gave him, he gave him a, an adjustment, uh, a portion of that. And it was unverified. They actually did not get the closing cost credit, but he took the notes and MLS at face value. And I guess the question is, why does everything else have to be cross-referenced? Because I know an appraiser will get the MLS data, but they'll cross-reference with with realist or with the, with the title, you know, profile. But that's the only thing they don't they don't verify. So the eight an appraiser for the uniform standards of professional appraisal practices. Wow, that's pretty good for eight o'clock in the morning, not having a shower yet because I forgot about this meeting. Have you had that moment where you're sitting on the couch with your wife, watching the news? You're having a cup of coffee and you're supposed to be at the office at your normal time, but you're like, eh, I'm just going to have such a nice morning. I'm just going to have that little extra cup of coffee. And you got that weird feeling like you're supposed to be somewhere. And you're like, oh, crap, I'm doing the Agent Power Hunt at 8 a.m. <laughs> that was my morning. <laughs> so, um, so according to USPAP, USPAP says that the appraiser should, right, should, I might be even must. There's always must and should must, but at least it, it might be a must and a should. But it, it, verify the transaction with a with somebody from the with the directly involved in it. So the buyer, the seller, or the agent. We are supposed to verify those sales and ask those questions. So if the data was incorrect and you called that listing agent of that buying agent, you said, "Hey, I noticed this," and they reported all the time wrong. I, I did an appraisal yesterday, and I, out of the six comps I selected, there were errors in two of the reporting. One put a private transaction. It wasn't. It was an FHA loan. Another one. And they, and they don't know. Agents, they don't teach us really what to put at the bottom of our input with the transaction details. So I would, if you called that agent and you verified, hey, this did not happen, when you did the rebuttal, you could say, hey, I spoke with the agent. This did not happen. They did not pay this amount. Therefore, it should not have been reflected in the appraisal report. Okay. Right? Should have not. So I, you know, there's where you could call out the appraiser and say, you know, and most appraisers are so you're, so, so you're saying the appraiser is supposed to verify call and verify that. Because I've never received a phone call, I think, ever in my career from an appraiser yeah. verifying concessions on my listings of the soul. 
Yeah, I do. I especially when there's um, inconsistencies in the data. So I did an appraisal yesterday. <clears throat> sorry, yesterday, and the, and the house has an ADU. And the ADU, an accessory dwelling unit, is independent of the house, meaning you cannot access this guest house within the house. It's a separate standalone structure. And in the report, that should be separated out. The gross living area, and I use that word gross, shows on NDC data, or I should just say public records because we have people in different states, um, as 2,200 square feet. But the house is really 1,900 square feet, and there's an additional structure, right? So in the report, I broke it out. Well, now I've got to find a comparable cell that hopefully has a similar detached ADU. And of course, I found one, and, and the agent had lumped the two together. So when I looked at the public records, it said, you know, they, it's, it said it broke it out, right? But I wanted to call that agent, which I did, and to verify the information and verify that comp. So we are supposed to do that. Again, we're appraisers, we're human beings. We make mistakes, we try to be accurate. But let's be honest, sometimes the agents, many times know more about that property than the appraiser does, right? They know more about that particular property or that comp than the appraiser does. And so talking to agents is a great important, or is talking with agents is very important as a source of information as what happened with that property. Because a lot of times I can't see, especially if they don't have interior photos, I can't see the condition of that property. So I got to call the agent up and say, can you tell me what that was it remodeled? Was it, you know, average? Did you have repairs? I need to get that information. So as a, as a listing agent, when you're providing comparables, you can be a great source of information. However, many times agents will come off with a little bit of a defensive attitude. I guess I'll use the word. Oh God, you're an appraiser. You're going to bring my report in low. You know, you guys just don't know. You got, you know, you, 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 and they start with the you use. And I'm <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, you know, here, uh, you know, our client is the lender. Our client is not the agent normally, unless they're hiring us to do an appraisal specifically for a, a, a non-mortgage related transaction. Sometimes agents will call me up and say, Hey, I'm listing a property. We want to get an appraisal. Um, to help sell. At that time, my client is the could be the agent and the seller, right? I have two different clients because I'm doing the report for the agent and for the seller. I have two different clients, right? And I put that in report. I'm doing this appraisal report. And then most of the time, my report will be for the lender, the mortgage, not for the buyer, not for the seller, not for the agents involved. It's for the lender. That is my client. Correct. And they're making a loan on this and using this as collateral. And they want to know, you know, hey, we don't want to, we want the most probable value. There's a difference, not the highest possible. Those of you who have taken statistics, there's a right, there's a bell curve, right? Remember statistics? You got this big bell kind of curve, and you got two ends, one end to the side, one on each side of the deal, right? And and you got the low here and the high here. I, you can't see my hands. I, yeah, I can't say I'm not. I'm not sure my screen. Yeah, um, and um, and you know, and and here way over here. And the the definition market is the most probable, not the highest possible. Right now, I do everything I can 
but I'm looking at a purchase transaction to see if I can support that purchase contract. I try, but there's sometimes I'm like, I just cannot get there, especially in this market. Right. So when you're looking at your comps, you're writing an offer, you know, are you waiving your appraisal contingency? Is your client willing to make up that difference? And that's an honest conversation you need to have with your client. Sorry, my dogs are barking in the background. Um, questions. We got 820. We got 10 minutes. Wow. Already overdone. Questions? Everybody sleeping? I have a question. Yes. As well. I'm listening in, I'm listening in the background, getting ready to go out on the, on the road. Don, ask an appraiser anything. What's the biggest challenge as an appraiser that, you know, I know you covered a lot of this, but just right now, if you're an agent, the biggest challenge an appraiser has, what is it and how can an agent help? Probably... Um, every time we do an every time we go, obviously we're under pressure um, to for turn times. Um, it is you know a, go, a lot goes into an appraisal. I just hired a new assistant. She's like, oh my, and she's a real estate agent. And she now is now my appraisal assistant. She's like, oh my god, I cannot believe how much work and effort goes in appraisal on what you get paid. Craig nailed it. Overworked and underpaid. For the amount of work that we do into an appraisal, and we'll get to the channel part, it's about a six-hour process from start to finish. By the time you accept an order, create the order, pull the file, do the drive to your inspection, do the inspection, measure the property. Some appraisers, if it's FHA, we have to shoot the comp photos. Go back, give it to an assistant, input the data, review it. It's a six-hour process. You're getting paid. I raise my fees, but most appraisers are getting paid 400 bucks. Okay, that's less than $100 per hour. How many appraisal offices do you see when you drive down the street? Zero, because you can't afford it, right? So here's what happens. We're going super fast. The lender wants the reports back. We need to get this information. And so more information that you can bring to the appraiser, such as is the solar electric solar system leased or paid for? Need to know. If it's leased, it's personal property. I can't give you any value for it. If it's paid for, I can give you value for it. How do you know if in our area, if you pull a preliminary title report, there's a UCC filing on the report that usually says, hey, Tesla owns an interest in your roof. Correct? So when Sarah's looking at me like I'm crazy. Right? Tesla? Usually, Tesla bought Solar City. Okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Tesla owns is one Sun Power, Sun Run, whatever you want to call it, whatever it's going to be. It'll be on the UCC file. And when you're taking a listing, one of the first things you should always do is a preliminary title report, right? Why is that? So you can proactively address any issues prior to getting our contract. Let me give you an example. A lot of you might be newer agents. <clears throat> and when we went through the financial collapse and mortgage crisis, there was a lot of mortgage forgiveness. And then sometimes those were silent, silent seconds. And sometimes maybe you've not heard of a hero loan. 
a hero energy efficient loan, right? And hero loans do not subordinate. No, they got to be paid off. So imagine this. Imagine you have a home and you're selling it for $400,000 and their payoff, they got an FHA loan, so they only put 3.5% down. And let's just say they owe currently, you know, $360,000, right? And you go to sell the house and you found out after you've contracted, the contract says, I'm willing to sell X property, right? This property to this buyer at this price, free of all liens and encumbrances. And all of a sudden you go and you, you get entered into escrow and then you pull the prelim title and guess what? There's a hero loan on there for 50 grand because they put the new air conditioner and heater, the windows in and did the blown in the insulation. And guess what? They owe more money than they're netting but you contracted to sell that house to that individual free will, you're screwed. You just, you just screwed. You just put yourself in a position that they have to sell that house at that price. And they're going to come out of pocket, have to come out of pocket to pay off those loans and net zero. Now what? Is, is that a technical term, by the way, that, 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 that they're screwed? Anyway, Sarah asked yeah. in the chat box, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sarah's in the chat box. Sarah's saying, what did she say? They still allow hero loans. You want to address that? I have not seen hero loans lately. I have not seen them advertised. I, I, the program that they rolled out sounded like a great idea. The challenge is, is that when you look at the cost associated, like an air conditioner heater that should have cost $10,000, when they go to pay it off, the hero loan's like $30,000. It's like three times as much. So it looked like the consumer was getting this, you know, oh my God, you can get this hero loan and you can put it on your tax bill and pay it through the property taxes and write it off and improve your property's value. But the problem is they won't subordinate. So if you go to refinance, usually or go to sell the property, it has to be paid off. And they're paying usually two to three times the amount that that would have cost when they paid, paid it up front. So that was the challenge. If they would subordinate, that'd be awesome, but they won't do it. And the, and the only ones that I really think benefited was the, the um, contractors. They were killing it because they were just charging premium amounts. So four minutes. I hope this is a four. I know this is not like super, like appraisals are not super fun. It's not like, hey, you get really excited. But this is really important information when you're working with your clients. What was the answer to the question? My phone went out. Oh, on hero loans? No, no, no. With the, what's the most important thing or the first thing oh, you look at? Oh, I think if for the appraiser is giving them the information so they don't have to yeah. dig it up. Getting stuff like, you know, um, solar leases, is it paid for or not? Upgrades to the house. Here's all a list of all the recent upgrades. I got new windows, remodel kitchen, you know, here's all the things. Kitchen to house, right? Hey, they had an addition, uh -huh. copy of the permit. You know, all those things that you're going to, the appraiser is going to have to dig up. If you can have that information available, and I walk in and go, here's your packet. By the way, here's your packet. They had a new air conditioner put in in 2019. They had an updated kitchen, uh, you know, updated AC this date. Here's a copy of the permit of the addition. Oh, they have a solar system, but it's leased. All that information, you give me that packet, it makes my life so much easier. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Information, right? That, and then, yeah. um, 
And then also another big thing, I just had one happen. The AMC, everyone, an appraisal management company. So let me explain that. We got two minutes. The, the mortgage company orders it through either a panel of appraisers that they have or through what's called an appraisal management company. There has to be a neutral party between the appraiser and the mortgage person. Does that make sense? They, yes. they don't want to have any undue influence. Many times I get the purchase contract, right? But what do they forget to give me? The freaking counteroffer. So I bring the appraisal and I think I'm Mr. Like, oh yeah, hey, no problem. You know, my appraisal value just happened to me is 405. And I and the contract price was 385. I'm like, we're good. And they're like, hey, why did you bring my appraisal? What do you happen? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, did you get I'm like, no one gave me the counteroffer. Right. So if you show up with a copy of the purchase agreement and your counteroffer, copies of permits, upgrades, all those information are will help you in your process. And the last one is make sure to pick up the dog crap in the backyard. If I step in dog crap, right, your value is going <laughs> to be lower. Just kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the counteroffer have to do with the appraisal? Well, I need to know the contract price. So if, if they counter back and said sales price to be, you know, sales price is 405 and I got a contract in my hand that says 385 because you didn't give me the counter. I put 385 I on my appraisals, the contract price. I didn't know that you had a counter offer and the price was 405 because no one brought me the counter offer. Wow. Okay. I never knew that. Thank you. So 830, um, I hope this is useful. Again, when you're looking at your comp selection, if you have a copy of an appraisal, just use that formula, top to bottom. Current, location, lot size, age, gross living area. Make sure you bracket, meaning when I bracket that you have, uh, if your subject has a 5,000 square foot lot, you don't wanna have all comps that are 10,000 square foot lots. You wanna have something that's hopefully similar to 5,000 square foot lot. You wanna match. When I say match is if you have a, a view, you want to have a comp with a view. You have a comp with a pool and spa, you want a comp with a pool, a subject with a comp with a pool and spa, you want to have a comp with a pool and spa. So bracket match. So when I say when I say bracket, if it's a number, a numerical number, lot size, garage count, bathroom count, bedroom count, age, you want to bracket that. And if it if it has a feature such as a pool, spa, view, guest house, you want to match. When I say match, you want to have one comp with it. All right. Any last questions? 831? Yeah, I got one, Don. Uh, is it helpful for you when an agent's going to bring you comparable cells and maybe like a 1004 MC report? Oh, good question. Yeah, the 1004 MC, and I talked to Craig's office. Craig and I, are um, we're, we're kind of neighbors, like literally okay. 20 feet. Um, 20 feet. Sorry, my wife's coming. No, 20 feet. Can you shut the door, please? Tell them, do not turn off the electric. My contractors are here. <laughs> we had a flood over Thanksgiving, so we're finally getting the repairs done. Um, they're almost done. They'll be done today, hopefully. Um, so a 1004 MC is a report that shows the increase in market value. Most MLS can run, you can run those in there. It's called a 1004 MC. It'll show the increase in market value. And one of the biggest things we're using comparables is making time adjustments. And if you have a 1004 MC, I'll pull my screen up real quick to show you. You can get this out of your MLS. 
This is what it looks like. Now this, your MLS will do one for you as well. Let's see here, extra image down here. So this is what a 1004 MC looks like. So if you can see that this one, the, the neighborhood values are actually not are pretty stable. So it was at 425, or then it went to 415, 408. It's actually declining a little bit. The list price is going up 429. But you can see that the market is, if you're looking here at this 1004C, you can see this market stabilizing. This is Compton, right? So this is what I just ran, but you can see that the number of cells is diminishing, the absorption rate is diminishing, the number of listings is pretty stable, but look at our inventory, it's increasing. Our median sales price is starting to taper off. Our days on market, you know, are pretty similar. But look at a, a year ago, they're selling 102% of the price. Now they're at 100%, now they're at 98. So it's telling me this market's starting to stabilize. And so this gives me information when maybe if I'm doing a, a listing presentation, I said, look, you know, yeah, values were going crazy and they're going up, 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 and up. But the data is not telling us that now. Data is telling me something different. Does that make sense? All right. Anything, any other last questions? No? All right. Hope this was informative. Uh, Don, this is Don. This is awesome. I'm going to have you on again for sure. Like, guys, Don not only he really does. I don't know if you said this at the beginning. I missed the first few minutes, but Don sells a ton of houses. He's an amazing agent. But the fact that you do both appraisals and agent, I mean, you're probably one of the most unique analytical realtors to present this in the country. So I just appreciate you, you know taking time to do this. Is awesome. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah. Have a good day, guys. We'll see you on again. Awesome. Have a have great a weekend. weekend. Right, Bye, guys. If you'd like more information or to get connected to the Agent Power Huddle, join our free Facebook group. This call was designed for the agents in our EXP organization, but open to any agent from any brokerage. If you're a guest and you're interested in learning more about EXP or our specific resources within the Agent Collective, reach out to the person who invited you to this call to get more info. Produced by the Agent Collective Media Network.